You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is the magazine editor of the Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine, Joe Harmon, and England World Cup winner, Alex Hartley. Alex, welcome to the show. How have you found lockdown so far? Yeah, you know what? I really enjoyed the first few weeks, um, you know, the, but now I'm getting a bit bored and pretty tired of just waiting around to be told when I can or can't leave the house. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I definitely feel that um, my my lockdown experience is progressively getting worse. Um, I've seen that you've gone quite big on on TikTok. Um, <laughs> you've even got your your mum involved. Do, do you want to explain your your TikTok interest? I saw um, a tweet the other day saying if you're over the age of twenty three, you should not be on TikTok. And I thought, oh no, maybe I need to delete the app. But it just came from pure boredom and me thinking I'll try and make people laugh and actually I was making myself laugh so I just carried on (laughs) have you seen um David Warner's TikToks yeah I don't have anyone that will do that sort of thing with me in this house so I have to be inventive on my own but I'd love to to be able to do one with David Warner (laughs) yeah let's try and let's try and make that happen um if you've not Listeners, if you've not seen David Warner's TikToks, they they are actually they are actually amazing. A lot of them end up going on on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, but he's got his entire family involved in it. It's, it's quite funny. Joe, how's it going? Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I think in the absence of live sport, I've just been watching any sports documentary I can get my hands on. So the Test, obviously, which was very good. Uh, the Last Dance, which is the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary, which is incredible, but the best of the lot, possibly, uh, is Cheer. Have either of you seen Cheer? Yes. I've not heard of it. Yes. I got forced into watching it. I went travelling in January and one of the girls was watching it and she said, you have to watch it. It's really good. It is really good. Don't judge it before you've watched it, Yes, You'd love it. So it's about a cheerleading team from Texas as they try to become national champions. But you know when you're 
you're tearing up in front of a Netflix documentary about cheerleading, the lockdown is really beginning to take its toll on you. (laughs) (laughs) I found myself watching a lot of old cricket videos. Today is the 11-year anniversary of Graham Onion's debut Fifer at Lords. I watched the video of that this morning. He's he's way quicker than I remember. I think his last wicket was 89.6 miles per hour. That's as quick as Ollie Stone and as quick as Saqib Mahmood. Joe, have I, have I just totally misremembered Graham Onion's career as an international bowler? Uh, well, he had a very good career as an international bowler whenever he, he was fit enough to, to be on the park. Yeah, I mean, that would have been at the quicker end of an Onion spell, but he, yeah, he, was, he nipped it around. I mean, to be fair, he, he still is when he gets the chance for, for that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's that's where my lockdown is at the moment. Um, reassessing my opinions of former England players' careers. The, the other stat I saw recently was... Uh, Tim Bresnan's got the best bowling average of any England bowler in the Ashes this century. He's played more than five test matches. Yeah, just kind of rewriting uh, my opinion of of England bowlers at the the turn of the last decade. Over the last week or so, we've actually begun to get a slightly clearer picture as to what this summer of international and domestic cricket, both the men's and women's game, might look like. According to The Guardian, England's test players were briefed earlier this week about what international summer might look like. The Guardian report mentioned that the players are likely to have daily temperature checks and regular COVID-19 tests. The games would likely take place at two venues, Old Trafford and the Aegeus Bowl, due to there being hotels on site, making it easier to make the venues biosecure. And the six tests against Pakistan and West Indies would take place in July and August. Interestingly, England could select a squad of up to 30 for the six-test spell, and the players could be away from their families for a time period of up to nine weeks. Joe, that's reasonably encouraging, isn't it? It is encouraging. Yeah, I mean, there was um, Ali Martin's exclusive in The Guardian yesterday set out quite a lot of details about how this might play out. And it sounds like a big operation, uh, particularly in terms of the staff involved. It sounds like they need a kind of whole uh, team of backup staff ready to replace the first choice staff in case someone um, comes down with the virus. Um, But... There is clearly the will to to get it done this summer. There is clearly, with Tom Harrison's comments earlier this week about potential 380 million loss this year in a worst-case scenario, um, a real requirement for some cricket to happen if it can in any way whatsoever. Um, So it seems like we're edging towards some men's international cricket this summer. Um, the women's game is another question. Claire Connor took some questions yesterday uh, and that is a very difficult subject to cover and I'm sure we're going to come on to that now or soon. Mm. Alex, do you think players will be supportive of any plan to get cricket played? I mean, both in terms of time spent away from home, it would be unlikely they see, they'd be allowed to see their families for, for quite a long time and just also any potential concerns over their own health, really. Yeah, I think... What the ECB have to make clear is it's going to have to be a choice from the players. So, you know, they'll they'll have their their first choice 15 or 30, as you say, but they're going to have to give the choice to the players because some of these players will have vulnerable families. It's not going to be as easy as I'll turn up to Old Trafford, I'll play a game of cricket, I'll go home. You know, these players are going to be away from home for potentially nine weeks or more. Yes, their players are used to being away from home, but it there's just a lot more to think about than the game of cricket. The squads of 30 sounds interesting to me because I guess you can't have late injury replacements because everyone would need to be in isolation. So there could be a scenario where you're asking quite a lot of players to spend 
nine weeks away from home, but they're very, very unlikely to get a game. Joe, do you think that will impact the likelihood of players agreeing to take part in it? Um, I mean, Alex will know better than me, but I imagine most cricketers out there are just desperate to get any chance of a game they can. So, you know, yeah, there is that possibility that you'd be part of a squad and, and not end up playing. But if there is any chance at all, I think most cricketers would would jump at the chance. Alex, is that a fair comment? Yeah, I think 90% of cricketers will say I'll be there, but obviously there are going to be some that are a little bit more wary. But as you say, cricketers' job is to play cricket, and if that means being away from home, then that's you know that's going to have to be the case. We got um, a brilliant email sent in from a youth cricketer yesterday. Her name's Molly Ovenden. I'll read the whole thing out because it's definitely worth reading. My name is Molly Ovenden, and I'm 15 years old, live near York with my mum and dad and 12-year-old sister, and have been a massive cricket fan since the age of eight. I'm a member at Yorkshire and have been lucky enough to travel to places to support Yorkshire and England, including Australia, to watch two tests in the Ashes series, even though they had lost before we landed in Melbourne on Christmas Day. Not only do I watch cricket, I also play. Last season, I played for the Orney Ladies, the Rouskaus Men's Senior Cricket Club, in both the evening and the Saturday League, which is open age, and guested for other teams when they were short and I did not have a game. I've also played for Yorkshire since the age of 11 and have stood in as captain on a few occasions. I'm most proud of the two times I opened and carried my bat against Lancashire. Last year in the local adult leagues, I won several trophies, including both the batting and bowling awards in the Nidderdale Ladies Leagues and the best young player in the Nidderdale Men's League and best young player in the Men's Local Evening T20 League. My school does not have a regular girls team like many other schools. They do have a boys team, which I also play in. This means that not many girls are exposed to cricket. I also think the women's game has been neglected and let down by the media, although my hopes were raised with the introduction of the 100. However, that has now been put back for a year, for good reason I know, but that really worries me. Where does that leave women's cricket for 2020? England winning the Women's World Cup in 2017 was a huge success, but this success wasn't built on in the way it should have been. All I read about or watch on the media seems to be about the professional men's game and not anything covering women's cricket and the damage that the postponement of the 100 will cause for female cricketers that are not centrally contracted. With the unnecessary end of the successful KSL last year and the lack of ECB funding and effort for women's county structures, these women are given no choice but to find another job away from cricket to live. I don't expect miracles and fully accept that men's cricket is more established, but with proper coverage by the media, this could begin to change faster than it is at the moment. I also accept that more money is put into men's cricket and men's sport in general, but I struggle to understand why the lowest paid male 100 player was paid double the highest women's player. How is this in any way right? Having been lucky enough to go to Australia myself and experience their cricket, both the BBL and the WBBL, I'm in total awe of Cricket Australia's approach to equality in the game. This is also hugely supported by their media, both TV coverage and social media. Can I please ask you to cover this matter as I have huge concern now for the future of the women's game, as I don't believe they will be given equal thought when considering the future. I want to highlight this and the beauty of the women's game too. It's not just the men's game that it's exciting to watch. We need to encourage women and girls to take up cricket and sport in general so that opportunities are created. Thank you for reading my opinion. I regularly write my opinions and reports on sports on my own social media pages. You can read Molly's stuff at M-O-R-E Sport 4 on both Twitter and Facebook. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot in there. Molly makes a series of excellent points. Alex, like, what, what are your initial thoughts from, from that amazing letter from Molly? I mean, for a start, she's playing for the wrong county, so that needs to be changed. 
Um, but yeah, she's made some fantastic points there and it's a lot for me to process because there's a lot of things that she said which are right and there are also a lot of things in there which she said which are not necessarily right. So for me, the ECB have got plans in place to make women's cricket so much better and to build on women's cricket. You know, we have to remember when the KSL started that only the playing 11 got paid. So the, the 15 girls that were in the squad, only the 11 that played got paid. So there was people that were having to take time out of their day, take days off work. You know, quite a lot of the girls that played in the KSL worked full time. They were taking holiday and getting paid less. You know, and now the ECB have got these plans in place to make women's cricket professional. Yes, we aren't quite up there with Australia, but Australia are six or seven years ahead of us. You know, we're, we're behind Australia. So it's going to take time. But I do agree, we, we should be paid more than we are. But, you know, devil's advocate with myself, we don't bring in the crowds that bring money to the women's game. This week, Claire Connor, the ECB National Director, talked about what this summer could look like for women's cricket. And she outlined that the priority for the ECB is to hold men's internationals just because of that revenue it brings to the game. So there's a slightly higher chance of there being a summer without any women's cricket than any men's cricket. Alex, how how devastating do you think it would be for the game not to have any women's cricket this summer, so soon after that amazing day at the MTG, the T20 World Cup final, which you're at? Yeah, I think if there is no women's cricket this year, it, it will be heartbreaking, you know. Thinking about it now, I'm gutted. The MCG was sold out. 86,000 people went to watch Australia-India play in that World Cup final only two or three months ago. And I think... Now would have been a fantastic time to capitalise on that, but we just can't. And I understand the ECB have to prioritise men's cricket because they've had such a big loss of money with cancelling the 100. But I just think, is it going to have a negative effect on the England girls if they don't play cricket? Probably not. But I think it will have such a negative effect on the people below England cricket. So like myself, Tash Farrant, you know, all the juniors that are coming through that were guaranteed professional cricket this summer and now we're not. Joe, do you echo that? Well, yeah, if there was to be no women's cricket this summer, it would be clearly be a huge backward step uh, after the progress that's been made in recent years. And, and also it would send out a terrible message because imagine you're a young kid or a teenager who fell in love with cricket watching Alex and her teammates win the World Cup at Lords three years ago. And now you're told, sorry, no women's fixtures this summer. The men take priority. They bring in the cash. Uh, I mean, that is an awful message to send out, not just in terms of cricket, but in terms of life in general, really. Uh, and it goes against every message the ECB have been trying to put out in recent years about cricket being an inclusive and equal game. But all that being said, there are no good options here only the least bad options and, and playing cricket behind closed doors is, is not a good option, full stop. Um, and Claire Connor's comments yesterday, uh, they were reported in quite different ways in different newspapers. The Guardian article suggested almost that she was kind of paving the way for there being no women's cricket this summer. The Independent took the angle that actually she was saying they'll do everything they possibly can and is still hopeful. I think it's still up for grabs. She can't make a final call yet, clearly. Um, but if we do reach a point where Claire Connor, who has been a flag bearer for women's cricket in this country for 25 years and has probably done more than anyone to progress the women's game in, in England and the world, gets to a point where she says, look, 
the England women might not be able to play this summer, then we have to be respectful of that. There's no point in us saying it's a disgrace. It has to happen. The logistics are such that it might not be possible. And look, and I repeat again, hopefully we're in a scenario where we can get some women's fixtures in as well. But yeah, as I say, there are no good options here. Mm, absolutely. Um, Alex, you, you alluded to it in, in your answer um, that the ECB this year were, were planning on introducing 40 additional professional contracts in the women's game from May the 1st, so, so this week. And they still hope to award those contracts later in the year, but they hadn't been finalised prior to the lockdown. How important is that for the development of, of the professionalisation of women's cricket in this country? Oh, 100%. You, you look at Australia, they're the world number one team you know, at the minute, you know, they're the best team at cricket. They have over 140 professional cricketers in their country. England, you know, we're not far behind Australia, but we have 20 maximum professional cricketers in our country at the minute. So you think if you can double that, you know, you you add an extra 40 players that are paid full time to play cricket, we're only going to get better. The game is only going to grow. More and more people will be inspired the more that we play cricket. And, you know, it's just going to be devastating if, if we don't play. I can't see us playing. But my big issue with all this is everything I'm reading in the papers and, and on Twitter and on the internet is the first I've ever heard of anything. And if I'm potentially one of these contracted players, I'm finding things out through the media. Have you had much or if any contact about what this summer will look like from the ECB? Nope, we've had, we've had absolutely nothing. So we, Claire obviously came out yesterday and spoke to the press. And then I'm not sure if there's been a little bit of backlash, but we kind of had an email today inviting 100 of the girls' county cricketers to a Zoom meeting next next Thursday. So we'll just have to see what's said there. Um, I don't know if you've seen Yorkshire's Katie Levick's comments on the, the postponement of the 100 in particular. She was quite outspoken both on Twitter and then in an interview with the Telegraph. She, her point was basically she didn't like how people were celebrating what is essentially unemployment for a huge number of of women's players she she said that i'm lucky in the way that i do have a full-time job and normally i'm very lucky my job support me when playing cricket there's so many girls who in order to have a fourth or sixth week block off in the summer you can't have a normal job so they put off getting into careers and take part-time work knowing in the summer you're going to get some money to get you through the period now that's been taken away um from your experiences of playing like is this a, a big problem for a lot of players where they have to make a decision about a career outside of cricket and a career in cricket because prior to this year there, there weren't full-time contracts available yeah and I've a lot of my friends or colleagues have have not carried on playing cricket because they've had to go into work or they've had to prioritize cricket and you know we've still got 28 29 30 year olds living with their parents because they're trying to play cricket professionally um from my point of view losing my England contract and then being told that's okay, you can still be a professional cricketer from April, and then there's the hundred, you'll earn a decent wage. Now it's it's you know May the seventh. I haven't heard a single thing. I'm jobless. I've got no income. I've got no car. I've got a mortgage. It's it it's getting to the point where I'm gonna have to get a job. Claire, Claire Connor said that the plan is still for the forty contracts to be given out soon she didn't give a date when when you weren't awarded a, a central contract last year how 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 did how devastating is that 
given given how important those central contracts are to, to be able to con- continue basically as a, as a women's player? Yeah, I think more devastating. It, it's just the fact your dream has come to an end. You know, you've you worked so hard for 10, 12 years to become a professional cricketer. It finally happens. You achieve everything you want to. And, you know, I'm 26 years old. I'm still really young. I had dreams of playing till I was in my 30s for England. And for somebody to turn around and say, you're not good enough, that's where the devastating thing comes in. It's not about the money because for me, I play cricket because I love it. And the money was just a bonus. You know, it's just a bonus that it happened to be my job. Alex, to say there that it's... I think you said it's over at 26. I mean, you've already, in your career already, you, you had that setback um, and were had a chance in the squad and then were kind of sidelined again and then came back and then had a big part to play in that World Cup win. Do you not feel that you can come back again for a second time or does this feel more final in terms of your England career? Um, if I was to put my heart and soul into it, I, I genuinely believe I could come back and play for England again. You know, I was a world number one bowler for a time. I, I was I was a fantastic bowler, but to have you essentially you go through a breakup. So to essentially to go through that again, it just it's just left me so heartbroken with the game of cricket. I just don't know if I'm gonna enjoy it enough to want to play for England again. I have to work out in my head whether or not I can even enjoy playing cricket again. But you clearly still want to stay within the game. I know you've been doing quite a lot of media work. That's that's an avenue you're, you're keen to pursue. Yeah, I, I love the media side. I was lucky enough to go to Australia with BBC TMS and, and do some work with them. And I absolutely fell in love with that side of the game. So for me at the minute, I want to carry on playing to see if I enjoy it whilst building my media career. And then from there, it's do I try hard to play for England again or do I make the transition into the media? So, sorry, just going back to something you said earlier about uh, players having to make decisions about whether or not to stay in the game if they've not got a contract historically. Do you think there's been a barrier in the past for players who potentially come from uh, slightly less well-off backgrounds? So, like, you know, the the ability, they don't have the option of living at home and having parents who can uh, support them for a bit when they don't have a contract. Oh, 100%. I mean, if if it wasn't for my parents supporting me from the age of 16 up until 20, 21, there is absolutely no chance I would have played cricket for England. I wouldn't have won the World Cup. I wouldn't have been where I am today. I'm lucky enough that my parents said, okay, we'll support you as long as this is your dream and when you want to stop, just stop. There are going to be parents and girls that aren't, lucky enough to be in that situation I mean yeah we've not we've not really talked about it yet but you, you are a World Cup winner and not only that you played a, a massive part in England's World Cup win in the second leading wicket taker in, in the tournament did you did you watch the, the Sky Sports watch along last weekend yeah I did and funnily enough that's the first time I've been able to watch that game back since losing my contract so there's been highlights that have come on the TV and I've not been able to watch them because I've just I just fell fell out of love with the game of cricket and I, I sat in bed Sunday and watched the whole thing and it just didn't feel like it was me it just felt like it was such a long time ago was there anything that struck you about the game that you didn't remember from from when you last watched it <laughs> yeah um I cannot believe we even won that game you know I didn't realize how little 
India needed to win the game. You know, they were three down. And I just, I just was watching it back going, how on earth did we pull this back? How on earth did we win this game? Because if you, if you watch it back, India lost the game. We didn't win it. But at the time, it just felt like we had so much momentum behind us and we were enjoying it. And you can see every time we got a wicket, we're, we're in a huddle and we're, come on, girls, we've got this. And we were so determined. But watching it back on the TV... It just went on and on and on. Well, you played a massive role in that turnaround yourself, Alice, because you'd, you'd gone for a few, hadn't you? You'd taken a little bit of tap early in the innings from, from memory. Uh, and then it was the, you got the big wicket of Harmon Preet, didn't you? The sort of, which really swung the game back in, not in England's favour, but put England back in with a chance. Yeah, there was... Um, I tweeted the other day a, a six that Harmon Preet hit off my bowling and it went absolutely miles into the stand. And arguably, that ball was actually better than the one that I took the wicket of, of her with. So I had been expensive, and it was the most expensive I've, I've been the whole tournament. So Heather kind of brought me off. Normally, I would bowl a spell of six or seven overs and then come back on. But after three or four overs, she took me off. And then it wasn't until Mark Robinson sent the message on saying, get Hartley on, was when you know we, we got the wicket. So is, is that is that what Robinson did? He he sent a message onto the field to get you back on to bowl? Yeah, yeah, he sent the message. I think Heather thought about it herself. Um, it was either, I think it was either Anya or me, but, um, you know, I'd, I'd taken a few wickets in the tournament at crucial times before. So she, yeah, so Mark said, get Alex on, and she agreed. And, yeah, luckily, I bowled that long hop that she hit down square leg's throat. <laughs> I hadn't remembered... How, how important and how well Jenny Gunn bowled at the end. And I think that was like amplified by how uh, Heather Knight was describing what the game plan was in, in those death overs, basically to take pace off and, and bowl straight. And that's exactly what she did. It was, uh, I think, her over before the uh, the penultimate over the game was, was amazing. And it, it didn't take any, any wickets, but really changed the momentum of the game just because of the, the India run rate went up so much in such a short space of time. Um, I thought the highlight of watching the, the watch long was Tammy Beaumont and Heather Knight telling two halves of the same chicken related story. Um, so after after you won, Tammy Beaumont spent 130 quid on takeaway chicken um, and shared it among the, 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 the squad support staff and members of the media. And then Heather Knight had that chicken and was sick on a Mercedes Benz uh, a few hours later. Uh, blamed it on the chicken rather than anything she might have drunk that evening. Yeah, so what actually happened with that, and I might get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Heather ate the food at the ground, which the chicken looked really dodgy. And she was like, should I eat this piece? Should I not? And she ate it anyway. So it was the chicken at the ground that gave Heather the food poisoning. Okay. And then Tammy later on went and bought 140 quid's worth of burgers and chips or whatever she got um but heather couldn't eat any of that because she was already in bed with food poisoning but her boyfriend kindly enough took her a chicken burger upstairs to bed which is not what she wanted at the time (laughs) do you um let yourselves think about at all about how you would celebrate a world cup win before you before you play the final at all did you let yourself think about that at all no, not in the slightest. What what we did as a team was in April, we went down to Lords and did the tour of Lords and we all sat in the dressing room and kind of picked our spots where we would sit. And we 
spoke about as a team how amazing it would be if we could sing the song in this dressing room. So we all sat there and imagined that, but in no way did we imagine how we would celebrate. It was just a matter of fact. Our thing was, we want to sing the team song at Lords. Amazing. And you guys got to do it. Yeah, I can't guess that the answer just because I don't think spending £140 on chicken is, is normally how you, how you celebrate success. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't even get any of it. Really? Oh. No, I was, I was, no, well, I was um, very, very intoxicated and probably in bed by the time that happened. Before we finish, Alex, ev- everyone knows that Joffre Archer has always been a prolific tweeter, but your partner in crime, Kate Cross, your co-host of the, the Noble podcast, she also was a prolific tweeter back in 2014 and hasn't deleted any of her tweets from that time. So we're going to play a quick game of, of guess the tweeter. Is it is it Cross or Archer? Uh, unfortunately, the, the the tweets aren't hugely exciting, but I wonder if uh, if, you, if you're able to guess who 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 said it. So starting off with number one, who tweeted this in December 2014? I forget how noisy puppies can be. <laughs> oh, so Crossy's dog six years ago. Uh, I'm gonna. Go with Joffre. Yes, correct, correct. Yeah. Number two, I would eat some ice cream now. One of them tweeted that in November 2014. That's got to be Crossy. It's Joffre, it's Joffre. Oh, <laughs> Crossy's such a foodie. Next one, who tweeted a photo in September 2014 of a very large spider and it was captioned, no, no, and no. <laughs> um, let's go with Crossy. Correct. Very good. And then in again in December 2014, who tweeted, excited for my first golf lesson this morning? <laughs> Has Crossy ever played golf? I have no idea. She's never suggested around the golf, so I'm gonna go with Joffre. It was cross. It was cross. <laughs> she was rubbish. So I think you're I think you're two out of four with one to go. So this one was a, a tweet of appreciation to Josh Butler. That was special at Joss Butler, hashtag talent. No, oh, if that's, that, that's embarrassing from either part. Um, I'm going to go with Cross and hope that it's not. You're right. So you win. Yes. Oh, that's excellent. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show to join us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Joe, thanks as ever. No worries, Yaz. Cheers. Cheers, this has been the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, tell a friend. And if you're feeling extra nice today, please leave us a five-star review on the podcast app. Cheers. Podcast Network.